You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. dance along with our intro like I do I do yeah but then I remember that Nagler's in the background so I don't want to give him like <laughs> too much to make fun of me for so fair I think he um I I have already given him plenty so okay <laughs> welcome in to Pax what she said live Maggie I feel like we're like pros at this now because we do this every week um the live shows yeah. right but welcome in it is our monthly Pax what she said live with she's head tv on youtube we're very excited um, because this is like a mini buy, right, for the Packers and for us. The Cardinals game happened, it feels like, already a billion years ago. Um, and we're a little bit looking ahead to the Chiefs. But I think what we wanted to do today, because it's – I don't there isn't a halfway point this season because they made it all wonky with 17 games. Not even. Don't like it. But we're going to do a bit of a mid-season review, look at where the Packers stand and the NFC North and the NFC as a whole and the league as a whole because they're crushing it. And then preview kind of the rest of the season um, because our regular episode will be a Chiefs preview. So you can, you can wait for that. Um, and I think it's fun to look at things a little bit holistically. So before we dive into all those things, how are we, Maggie? I'm good. I kind of, you know, forgot that the Packers played on Thursday. So Sunday rolled around and I was like, well, this is boring. But right. there were some really good games. And I think having the Chiefs playing on Monday Night Football made it kind of more enticing because you get like a full focused look at them instead of like watching Red Zone or something where you're seeing bits and pieces. And I don't know, we'll, we'll save that for the podcast. But ugh, that's how I feel. That's how I feel about the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, we can definitely... We can we can start to mull over our thoughts on the Chiefs because I I agree I actually sometimes on Thursday and Monday Night Football I kind of I put it on but I'm cooking dinner I'm not like totally paying attention and last night I was like focused I was watching I was seeing what formations they came out with I was seeing what they were doing I was seeing the way the Giants were 
handling that offense. I think there's a lot the Packers can take from what they did last night. So I was very, I was a lot more um, drawn into the game than I normally am when it's not, when it's prime time and not the Packers playing. Um, Wow. We have so many people joining. Thank you all for being here. Don't forget that if you have questions, send them in. Um, We will try to get to as many as possible. All right. So Packers are seven and one. They're on a seven-game win streak. I think that's the best in the NFL. Yeah, mm-hmm. eating the undefeated Cardinals is means they are obviously have the longest active winning streak right now. Um, that was sweet. I mean, I feel like I could talk about that game like more. I know we did a recap show, but like I could talk about that game for a while. But I think for the most part, it's the Cardinals win is very indicative of where this Packers team is. And I think we've been talking a lot about like what's their identity this season right like over the last eight games Saints game officially fluke right throw it out the window fourth preseason game over the last seven games like who are the Packers like who who, what can we expect the rest of the season and I think it's very much what we saw on Thursday against the Cardinals this is like very gritty very tough we'll do anything to win next man up doesn't matter who you are when you were added when you were drafted you're going to do your 111th that's at least how I feel yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this a little bit on some of the recap shows where it's it's just really interesting that, you know, this is a team that says next man up mentality and that kind of feels like the mantra for the season. But at some point you're like, no, no, no. Like you guys can just play with the guys you have. Like you don't need the <laughs> next man because that means that people are continuously getting hurt. And it feels like every week, you know, they're getting someone back, but also adding someone to IR. So the hope, I guess, with this mini buy kind of in place is that you know, people, they can start getting really healthy. Devante should be back. MVS was activated off IR. Alan Lazard, of course, back practicing. Even sounds like there's some potentially good news on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Aaron Rodgers name dropped Jair today on the Pat McAfee show. And he also mentioned Z being in the building and kind of the juice that he brings. Yeah, I know. know. (laughs) (laughs) So there's just a lot to be excited for, for this team. I think, you know, a quote unquote mini buy came at a really good time. And for this Packers team to be seven and one going into a mini buy instead of like, you know, four and four, even like six and two is really significant. Yeah, absolutely. I think that tiebreaker with the Cardinals, the game that they just played is going to end up having repercussions when it comes to playoff seating. There's still a couple games left that I think will also be very similar. I think the Rams game is the one that I, everyone probably has circled on their calendar. Um, I mean, especially but, now with Von Miller. Yeah. Like. yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting that, I mean, the trade deadline was today, right? Obviously the Packers didn't do anything but switch out um, long snappers, which like I just laugh at because it's the most Packers thing to ever Packer on trade deadline day. Um, of course, that's what they do. But I think the Rams Packers comp is very interesting to me. I'd say the two of them, the Cardinals obviously still in the box are sort of top four in my mind. I guess you can put the, the Cowboys in there, but um for the NFC contending and the Rams Packers game is going to be such a head to head of like two very different roster building styles. Whereas you see Rams doing these major splash plays completely like just chips all in about for their future. I mean, they have literally four, I think draft picks for the 2022 season, one of which is in the top hundred and the Packers are doing the opposite, which is, trying not to hemorrhage the future because they're always thinking about the future, but adding pieces along the way, more low key vet signings. But those players are 
making contributions, right? Like you're seeing Whitney Merciless in there. Obviously, Dr Devondre Campbell, I think at this point is the best value of a free agent signing there is. Um, and Rasul Douglas, who makes the game-winning interception, like it's not like they're adding these, you know, kind of lower level free agent players and they're not doing anything. They're making contributions. So clearly the way the Packers are roster building is working for them as well. It's just a matter, matter of how's it going to shake out in the end. Yeah. And I mean, I think examples of that too are like Kadar Holman and Josh Jackson, where the Packers knew they weren't going to make the roster. So they swapped them for picks. And now neither guy is with the prospective team that they were traded for. So they're just really strategic about how they're doing things. Even Jalen Smith, like that didn't work out. And I think that's okay for the Packers that that didn't work out. They didn't really lose anything by signing him. The contract is already paid by Dallas. So yeah. the Packers aren't like giving up key assets for a lot of this. It's just kind of stuff where they're like rolling the dice and, you know, for every, Jalen Smith signing that doesn't end up working out you do find like the Rasul Douglas that has a game-changing moment and I think that's you know it says a lot about the Packers and how they felt even about the 2020 squad like they're not going out and making wholesale changes this is a team that thought they could win it all last season and instead just kind of plugged like really minor holes and feeling like they can do it again this year and it it's clear that they were right I mean at least if you're looking at up to this point in the season when you're seven and one it's kind of hard to argue with that philosophy of the way that they've been putting this team together. And I think it's, it's spoken about a lot by the players too, about who's been brought in and the, the energy that they bring to the locker room and what they bring to the team. It's very, there's a very like sort of Packers way, Packers mentality, Packers personality that I think some people may roll their eyes at, but I think it's important, especially in a locker room as tight knit as this one is and who are ready to make a serious run like you got to fit with that mold and that mantra and I think Rogers has talked about it like all season on the Pat McAfee show, McAfee show especially this week I watched it today um, about those guys that we all just mentioned um, who have joined and they're also making contributions on, on the field I do agree with you though when you talked about all the injuries um, you know you want to see your starters come back and I think that's where the Packers are trending to right MVS and I hopefully David Bakhtiari gets activated off the pup list. They have until I think it's next Wednesday um, to do that. And if they don't do it by next Wednesday, he's out for the season. If I read that correctly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you expect that to happen soon. I mean, hopefully he plays against the chiefs. I think if he doesn't, it's not the end of the world, right? O-line's been playing really well, but you of course want David Bakhtiari back. Love hearing that Jair might make it back for the stretch Z's back in the building. So it feels like they're also like trending in an even better direction, which when you're seven and one, it's hard to think about this team getting better, but they're going to get significantly better when all those people come back. Yeah. And I think like the mentality that we, we've been talking about with this group is really impressive too, where, I mean, you know, they're not going to say in their post-game pressers, like, yeah, we fully expected to lose, but you have guys like Adrian Amos talking about how like, yeah, we know we were without Devante and we know we were without Alan Lazard and we know we're without Jair, but like, we didn't come here to roll over. Like that's not what the team does. And the fact that they are winning without really significant pieces says a lot about, you know, the potential that they have when they do get to full strength, which of course we're hoping is for kind of late November, December, because that's, you know, looking at the way the NFC is shaking out, every single one lost team is in the NFC right now. So it just, right. you know, that, that top, the Packers, I think we can all kind of, unless something seriously implodes, 
are in full control of the NFC North. We kind of expected that going into the season. But as far as jostling for like the the wild card round, I think the number one seed is huge because that wild card round has potential to be like a really, really explosive matchup. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think I always thought it was interesting the way they do the seeding. And I do get it why division leaders get home field advantage. But in this instance, when you have an NFC that's as stacked as this one, like the wild card away team, if it's, let's say the Cardinals end up winning and it's the Rams and it's only one loss of a difference, like that's, that's not someone who you necessarily want coming into your building. That's someone who's going to potentially make a push. And I always, always obviously think about the Packers in their, in their Super Bowl run as the wild card end up making it and winning the whole thing. It doesn't necessarily mean really anything especially with like the way they do it in the division um it's interesting because i think the afc you're watching like the afc sort of start to lean younger and all the rookies are out there and justin herbert and you got pat mahomes and you would think that the afc would be the powerhouse conference this season and yet again you see the nfc like you said with all the one lost teams on this side um and it's just going to be I think, I mean, we're looking very, very far ahead now, but the, the playoffs yeah. are going to be just chock full of the top, the cream of the crop. I, I, I just like, I thought that it would be the AFC this season, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. Well, I mean, I think it's fair though, to look far ahead because so many of the pack, like of the Packers opponents are in contention for some of those really high seeds. You know, they have the tiebreaker now at the Cardinals. They play the Rams who are a seven and one team as well. The Saints at four and two, I know they, you know, they lost their quarterback on Sunday, but, you know, I think the loss was a little bit harder with the way the Saints season started where you're like, oh man, did they get blown out to a team that's going to finish like seven and 10? Well, they're four and two now and they're in prime position to get a wild card spot. They hold the tiebreaker currently with the Bucks, So there's like an outside chance that the Saints win the division and the Bucks are on the outside looking in as a wild card. So obviously if it were to come down to a Packer Saints tiebreaker for the number one seed, which given the rest of the NFC, the way that's shaking out, that feels unlikely. But, you know, those tiebreaker games are really important. You know, we joke, like, if you're going to drop a game, drop it to the Ravens. Like, don't don't drop it right. to an NFC contender. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. And, I mean, it's not like the Packers' schedule gets any, any less challenging. Um, although I do think before the season started, I thought it was even worse – now I'm like, I think the Packers can go in anywhere and win any game yeah. with the way mm-hmm. that they're playing. So last seven games, obviously there's a ton, a ton that they're doing well. And also a ton, I think, still to clean up. When you think about what you want the Packers to do moving forward, what's like the first thing that comes to mind? To me, it's red zone offense. And I guess red zone defense then is the flip side of that. And you know, I think Matt LaFleur is like a true coach. He always has the coach speak where it's like, you know, you win the game, but you always benefit when there's still things to improve on. And I think that's where this team is at. Like they're, you, you call them gritty. Aaron Rodgers called them gritty. Like it's a football team that's finding ways to win, knowing that they're not playing their best football yet. And, you know, you can use that excuse all year long. If you lose in the playoffs, you can't say like, well, we never played our best football. Like, you know what I mean? But if you start putting it together, you're poised to really do some significant things. And I think this offense being able to put up 24 points on the road on a short week, knowing, you know, you and I talked about Mercedes Lewis, Aaron Jones, um, even John Winfrey had that sideline grab that you know, ended up as a fumble. There were so many opportunities to put up more points. And I think just figuring out the red zone, how to be successful on both sides of the ball down there is going to go a long way for this team. I agree. Yeah. I think we talked about this last week, but 
you know, they were like two plays away from it being 38. So, and of course that's, I mean, that's football, right? Right. It's one bounce, it's one yard, it's one weird review overturn of a touchdown, you know, that changes games. So it's making it, I think, undeniable, right? That, that the Packers are missing. And I think it was last season where they're averaging like 32 points a game. The offense is just absolutely unstoppable. It hasn't necessarily been that way. And I don't think it necessarily has to be because the defense is stepping up a little bit more, but you'd like to see, I think, some consistency in both red zones from both sides of the ball. I agree I th- with that. I think it's really interesting too. And I'm curious your thoughts on this. Like, you know, we always joked that Mike Patton was like the king of bend don't break where teams would get down to the red zone and then the Packers defense would be able to stop them for whatever reason. I feel more comfortable with the 2021 Packers defense on the field. And even though I know that they do give up a significant amount of, you know, red zone touchdowns, it still feels like holistically the product is significantly better. Teams aren't getting to the red zone as easily. There's, there's turnovers, you know, the Packers are seven and one this season, seven and oh, when they forced a turnover on defense, like, you know, there, there's a lot of really good things. The Packers are the best tackling defense in the NFL. So as much as I know, I, I saw the eyes. I know it, it's a so weird stat crazy. to think about. But, <laughs> you know, as far as like the bend don't break mentality, it can only get you so far. And I think what we're seeing from Joe Barry is it's a, it's occasional that you're going to break. But, you know, I think the fundamentals have been shored up significantly. Yep. I had no idea that that tackling stat was real. That's pretty wild. Yeah, I think something you already said is exactly why is that they're just not getting to the red zone as often. Whereas like maybe with Petten and I think by the end with Petten, it wasn't even, it was, it was just breaking. <laughs> there was but no bending. There was no bending. I mean, there was bend, 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 and then break. Right. Snap, and here yeah. you're seeing with Joe Barry, like they are forcing more punts. They're not allowing teams to get to the red zone when they do. Yes. Maybe they give up a touchdown more often than you would like to see, but that's what they've, there's been, I don't know, pre-Cardinals, pre-Cardinals game, it was, I think, 15 or 16 red zone trips. I, I probably have my numbers wrong. Yeah, they were 15 for 15, and then Washington, they were 15 for 19. 19, So now okay. they're, what, like 17 and 21 or something? I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, those numbers, when you look at them, not great. But, again, if you think about that, that's eight games, and teams are only getting to the red zone 21 times. That's not That's not bad. Those are numbers that you don't mind. And then especially – with Washington, at least, was a perfect example. Was, yes, they got into the red zone, but you're right. They're forcing turnovers. And I don't love a defense that is contingent upon turnovers because turnovers are fickle and they're not reliable. But if they're going to continue to force them, then sure, right? I'm going to take that every day. But even you see it again, Washington is being a perfect example of ton. I think there were like three additional fumbles in that game that Washington re-recovered. Right. So you can't just you just can't rely on them. I do think it's interesting that the Chiefs are I think they have like 19. I was just going to say, you know, a team is really terrible with turnovers. (laughs) Right. And Patrick Mahomes has thrown an interception in every game this season, which is very unlike him. And I have my thoughts about why that is, but that's not the point of this discussion. But I think this is a really prime opportunity for a defense that's already kind of ball hawking to continue that streak. Yeah. I mean, I think you can argue 
you know, we've talked about this so much and it's like one of the things that just makes me want to get on a soapbox because it drives me insane when we talk about like you can literally only play the teams that are in front of you. Mm-hmm. So the Packers have played some teams that were missing key players. The Packers have been missing key players all season. You know, you don't get to have a redo at the end of the season because you want to play a team at full strength or your team wasn't full strength. So as much as we can argue that the Packers maybe haven't faced like some of the most incredible offenses in the NFL kind of to start with like the bears and Washington and whatever, they've also gone up against some really impressive offenses like the Cardinals on a short week. And I think, you know, that, that carries over that mentality can't be understated, right? Like, you know, yes, you beat up a bad bears team or a bad Washington team, but then you carried that momentum and beat up a really dang good Cardinals team. So, you know, I think, I think all of that matters and the stats will give this team confidence to move forward. Averaging only 20 points on defense, a game is huge. Agreed. Yeah. Hi, Jason. Thanks for sending in a super chat. I've noticed more defenders around the ball and better game tackling this year. I agree with you. I mean, obviously the Packers are holistically tackling better. I think, and maybe this is a stretch in saying this, but I think when you have a guy like Devondre Campbell, who's consistently getting to the ball carrier and consistently making a tackle and just being around the ball, it's so much easier for the entire defense to follow suit because he's their leader. He calls everything that happens on that field And he sort of sets the tone, sets the precedent, and he's doing just that. Yeah. I mean, I think, too, like, there's a confidence that comes with that. We joked pre-show, obviously, um, about, you know, neither of us could be defensive backs. One for our height, two for our speed, three for our lack of athleticism. However you want to, you know, go down there. (laughs) (laughs) However you want to go down the list here. Um, But there's something to be said about, like, a reset mentality. And I think, you know, as far as, like, if we're going to start looking at specific players, Eric Stokes is doing that, you know, for having expectations for a rookie going up against DeAndre Hopkins and Jamar Chase and Terry McLaurin. Like we talked about Kevin King the same way his rookie season where, you know, you can't get much better than like Julio Jones. Like there's a, there's going to be growing pains for every defensive back in the NFL, but to be able to bounce back the way that so many of these players have, even Russell Douglas has gotten really terrible PI calls in like most, I think three games this season. And then to come back and snag an interception to seal the game, just the contributions from these guys to be able to just reset every play, I think is huge. We haven't seen the kind of mental lapses and carryovers that we did the last couple seasons. Yep. Spot on. It's the short term memory for the defensive backs that matters the most. And yeah, I mean, I think so this it's funny. I was thinking back about our predictions preseason and one of mine was that Eric Stokes wouldn't start until like around like week eight, week nine, week eight. right? Which is where we're at now. And he's been starting since week two. And of course, that's for not a reason you'd love, which is injuries. Um, but I think it's also allowed us to see what he's got. It's given him reps that like, I mean, irreplaceable reps for a rookie. And I think he's stepped up. I mean, it's completely exceeded my expectations, right? He's not perfect. Obviously, he got way beat by DeAndre Hopkins. But again, it's DeAndre Hopkins. He's one of the best wide receivers in the league, has been for a long time, has tons of moves. It's essentially like going up against Devontae Adams. Um, And so those moments are going to happen and very welcome to the NFL rookie moments. But I think he's really handled his business quite well. And we've been able to see the reasons why the Packers drafted him. Incredibly athletic. He's been able to be around the ball. I think we'd like to see a little bit more plays on the ball, but he hasn't given up crazy yardage 
or anything that you're like, oh, that was bad, right? The Terry McLaurin touchdown in my mind was just Terry McLaurin being very good at wide receiver. Um, And I think when you get Jair Alexander back, you're just going to see more out of Eric Stokes because one half of the field is going to be a lot more sound and covered. And that's nothing on Rasul Douglas. I think he's also played incredible, um, especially from going from the practice squad to being a starter um, on a very good football team. Just impressed. I don't know. Yeah. I want to talk about that a little bit. I'm curious. Um, it seems kind of like, you know, all off season, we talked about positions of strength and positions of weakness and, you know, edge rush was one of those positions of strength until you had an injury. And unfortunately Z got hurt right away, but then you had Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary Preston luckily could come back from his injury after one week. But you know, that position group got really close to being a bare cupboard corner. We were like, okay, you've got Kevin King and Jair and you drafted Eric Stokes, who you're hoping doesn't have to play right away because he's a rookie fast forward. And now Rasul Douglas is playing, you know, one of the boundaries and Eric Stokes is on the other boundary. Chandon Sullivan has been the nickel. We talked all off season about who was going to be the star, whether it was Jair, Darnell Savage. I don't think anybody really talked about Chandon Sullivan and he's been playing really, really well in that role. So I'm just kind of curious what your base defense looks like or how maybe you would formulate it when you have Kevin King and Jair back. Yeah. It's interesting because to me right now, like I don't want to take Rasul Douglas off the field. Right. I don't think he deserves to be taken off the field. I mean, it's a smaller sample size, but comparatively he's playing better ball than Kevin King when Kevin King was playing. Right. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't hate the experiment of Kevin King in the slot, um, depending on what the offense is showing. Yeah. Um, So to me, I mean, base is obviously nickel, right? The Packers played a hundred percent of their snaps in nickel against the Cardinals, which I think part of that, right. Is that there are so many playmakers on that team to cover. Right. But also like, I think that's just what base defense in the NFL is these days is nickel Um, because the slot is so important. And nowadays Mm -hmm. the slot can be anybody from, you can throw Aaron Jones in the slot or you could have a tight end in the slot. So that person has to be on it. I'd love when Jair comes back to see what he's got in that star role. But I also feel like when you excel at a position like he does on the boundary, why move him? Um, So I still would like to see Stokes and Ja on the boundary, Um, maybe move Darnell and get some like Amos Henry Black or keep Darnell up and keep Chandon in. I, I don't see any reason to switch things up um, if they're working. And yes, I know that probably means that Kevin King sees a lot less playing time, but I don't, nothing's been proven to me that he deserves more playing time over any of those other guys. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, like reading through some of the comments as well um, with different players getting shout outs. And I think that says a lot about, you know, Aaron Rodgers has been really forward about praising Brian Gutekunst in the front office for the way that they've built this roster. Like, yes, they've gone out and gotten names like Randall Cobb, who arguably without him, the Packers lose on Thursday night. You know, their receiving core was down to, I think, like 20 receptions, 20 NFL receptions, like without Cobb. So, you know, that's significant, but there's, they're almost getting to the point where they have such valuable depth that you're, you're, there's going to be talented players that don't get to see the field. Yash yeah. Nyman was one of those guys that's in there. Lucas Patrick, you have to think, is going to see the bench when Josh Myers comes back. John Runyon Jr. has played really, really good at left guard, probably would be a starter on another team. 
he'll get the bench. You would think when Elton Jenkins slides over to left guard and David Bakhtiari comes back. Um, but I think it's also a test for guys like Josiah Deguara. You know, it's it's really huge to lose a guy like Robert Tunyon. But we've seen such depth at other positions that I, I'm going to be curious to see kind of what happens. Um, not to completely segue off of this, but it got me thinking of Kylan Hill. And what do you think the Packers, one, do at the return game? And two, do you think they add, like a Patrick Taylor, I think was in the comments earlier, to the to the active roster from the practice squad? Yeah, so before before we move on to the running back room, because I do want to talk about that, there's a comment here that I want to just like shout out. Okay. Um, it's Matt Mamba. He says, Jair's dominance quietly allowed the secondary to be too relaxed, and with him gone, the secondary was forced to step up. Yeah. You 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 would agree with that? Well, I love Matt Mamba. I hope that he knows that. He's hysterical. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that I think there's a big part of that. I think, you know. Not that I would never want to accuse an NFL player of taking a playoff, but I think that there is kind of a mindset that, you know, you're going to get picked on, right? Like Jair's locking up half of the field and you know that, you know, targets are going to come your way and you're probably going to get frustrated because it's hard to lock down every reception, every game. So you're going to give up some receptions. And yeah, I mean, I think there, I think that's really interesting, but I also think there's like a rallying mentality where as much as that maybe is true that without Jair guys were forced to step up, I think there was also the mentality of we need to do this for him. Like we can't just, people can't talk about the secondary only being good because of Jair. So I yeah. think guys like Rasul Douglas and Eric Stokes and Kevin King and whoever else kind of take a little bit of offense, like, all right, well, we're still here. Like yeah, yeah. we can still do it. So what's your ideal base then out in the secondary? It's tough. I mean, I think I really like the idea of, Jair at nickel and then having Russell Douglas and Eric Stokes on the boundary. But I also, I mean, I feel bad. Like it's silly to say that, but Chandon Sullivan has played so well that, you know, you're obviously going to sit in when an all pro wants to play there, but yeah, maybe in dime packages, if you want four corners to safeties. Yeah. I think, I think the, the thing problem about, I have, the, right, right. I was just going to say like, the thing about this and the, the Packers now, not a bad problem to have, right? They have lots of options. And I think this is going to be really fun for Joe Barry and for Jerry Gray when all these guys come back and they get to have fun with what they're able to do and be able to trot out so many different options and really confuse offenses. And also at the same time, there's like a respect level now because Razul Douglas and Eric Stokes have kind of not locked it down, but done a They've held the door closed well <laughs> enough that it's not however really, they're leaning on it. They're doing yeah, they're, it. They've so. got like a, a dresser up against <laughs> it and they're doing their best. Right. And, and there's not going to be this like player that gets picked on by an opposing quarterback. So it does give them a lot of flexibility, but I also think, I mean, even without Jair, you have to sort of tip the cap and say they've been playing really well, but it's going to be fun when Jair comes back because it will be a lot less zone. They'll be able to play a little bit more man press man with Jair back. So it's just, there's going to be a lot more versatility and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, but I do sometimes think when the Packers have those options, it's almost like there's too many options. Like they're, they may not choose with the way they're playing best. I don't know if that just came out sounding really dumb, but you know what I mean? Like right now they have like kind of one option and they have to play this right. way and they have mm -hmm. to play the best. And then all these options surface and it's like, 
oh, okay, which route, which, which door do we go down here? Well, do we I, mean, have, I think we, we can argue right that door? that's what was happening week one of me too, right? Where there, they, there almost felt like there was an obligation to get Kevin King on the field over Eric Stokes. So then week two, we saw, okay, let's try Kevin King in a little bit of nickel and we'll put Eric Stokes out there. Like, you know, I, I feel like that was part of it, right? Where they were trying to see what they had and give guys last opportunities. But I think now that we've seen production on the field, it's a lot harder to then make those switches. Like, well, he's healthy now. Guys lose their jobs all the time. And I, it sucks. That's business in the NFL and it's a hard business. But look at like Corey Lindsley and JC Treader. JC Treader gets hurt. Corey Lindsley comes in and fills in at center and never gives the job up. But now JC right. Treader is the starting center on the Browns and everybody's happy. But you know, there's opportunities where it's just like, okay, well, you got hurt. Even, I mean, Lane Taylor's was season in, season ending, which is different. But there's yeah. a lot of times where guys just fill in and then never give the job back. It's similar to Belaga, right? Didn't Belaga start as a rookie because of an injury? And then it was just like, <laughs> boop. No more. We're done here. Um, okay, fun stuff. We love defense. I feel like we've been, like, very defense heavy this season, which, like, I don't hate. But... Um, it's just been so much more fun to talk about the defense this year. They're very interesting. Um, but you did mention Kylan Hill. So we'll go back to the running backs. Um, really unfortunate. I think like everyone, easy to say, most fans were really excited to see what he could bring. I mean, I was pushing for more Kylan Hill. So were you. And especially when you lose your punt returner, kick returner. Kick returner. Thank you. Um, he should have been in on punts as well. I think that's why that's coming to mind, right? In just a gruesome way. Like, I think that's why people have such a hard time with Thursday night football is it's very hard on their bodies to go that back to back. Um, hopefully he will be back with a vengeance next season to answer your question. I think they pull up Patrick Taylor. Um, I think we are maybe a little bit biased because the the show. Patrick Taylor rooting for him, but I also think he brings very, very unique skill set that AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones do not have. Obviously, also very different from Kylan Hill, but they have him on the practice squad for a reason. I think maybe it's time to see what he gets. I don't think he gets too many snaps, but activated at least for games. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. Like I some of the comments were mentioning it, you know, talking about obviously the Packers didn't make any moves at the trade deadline, but with players actually being released now that didn't find a home. I don't see the Packers making a move for Deshaun Jackson. I don't think they need another wide receiver, but God, does he intrigue me just a little bit as a kick returner. I don't see the Packers doing it, but so it's interesting that you say that because yes, that'd be great. But would a guy like Deshaun Jackson who wants to leave the Rams for seemingly no good reason, winning team, why would you just not want to be on the team? Even if you're on the bench, would a guy like that selflessly come to the Packers to just be a kick returner? Like, I don't think so. That I think I think that's my thing about Deshaun Jackson is I think he wants more targets and more, I don't know. There's other time. teams that will need his services. There's a right. lot of wide receiver hurting teams right now. Right. I just, I'm curious. I mean, do you put Amari Rogers back there? He struggled a little bit as a punt returner. So like, you know, there's, there's that aspect of it. Malik Taylor's gotten a couple looks doing it. Um, yeah, somebody else. Yeah, I don't know, but he's – does he want to take that many shots? Jamal Williams was an option beforehand, you know, before this season, but – Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. It's an interesting question. Um, I think they can probably find someone already on the roster to fill that role. I'm I would hate to, to see who them – In uh, 
in training camp. It was really just Kylan Hill and Amari Rogers. <laughs> yeah, I, was just saying, I, was just I mean, I guess we'll see more Amari Rogers. I can imagine that's like the route they'll go until proven otherwise. Hey, Big B. Yeah, hey, Big B. Um, but from an offensive perspective, right? I don't think that. I think losing Tunyon, of course, impacts the offense a little bit more than losing Kylan Hill does. Um, I do want to talk about special teams, but I think that we should first talk about our sponsor of the show. Just really quick. We got to give okay. our friends, friends at uh, Manscaped special, a shout out. Before special teams, we'll talk about your special parts. <laughs> the graphics are my favorite part of doing this. Yeah. Um, the holidays are coming up. Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah. For those of you out there that are part of the tribe. Um, and Manscaped is the perfect gift right now. Perfect gift for your perfect package. Um, put that under the tree. And uh, yeah, you can use the code PWSS20 to get 20% off right now. Um, they've got a new lawnmower 4.0. Apparently it's great. I'm going to be gifting mine to um, my father. So we'll maybe get a review. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with mine. And he was like, I'll take it. Um, Andy Herman bought a a uh, Andy Herman was just put on blast right now for... <laughs> no, he used our code he got it we he asked him for a review so yeah check out manscaped um they've got lots of different products also honestly I personally think that the the toiletry holder is really nice it's leather it's beautiful um, not that you're going there to buy that but that's my opinion <laughs> yeah I mean I gave mine to my husband he there's a little light on it which I'm assuming is you know, great. Can't say I've ever tried to shave a delicate package, um, but <laughs> it seems like it would be really useful. Um, we've got some friends that are buying them already for either their significant others or guys buying them to impress their significant others. So yeah, just thanks a lot, Manscaped. Hopefully- or if you're single and you want to, you know, you're out there dating, you want to impress the ladies, you want to be ready. I highly suggest that. Um Oh, Mark Lowe, yeah, that. that it's great. great. Thumbs up. Okay. All right. I think we've done our plug. Don't forget. PWSS20. <laughs> that is the code. Um, highly suggest using it. 20% off free shipping. Did I just make up free shipping? No. No, there oh, is free okay. shipping. There, yeah, Perry's right. <laughs> We're yeah. very clearly very good at this. Okay. Um, back to special teams. Well, now I'm very distracted thinking about special packages. But I <laughs> no, I mean, I think I think the special team. It's really confusing to like be excited about special teams. But I will say, in the 2019 and 2020 seasons, every time the punting unit would come out, I'd be like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> like it would just be like, "Oh no, here we go." Yeah. Every time Boho Blast comes out, I'm like, "I'm about to buy a jersey." Like it is just. <laughs> The field flipping. And I mean, I think that can kind of contribute to the success that we've seen on the defensive side of the ball, right? When you don't have every single offense starting at midfield, you're like, oh, hey, this is nice when they have to march 80 yards. Right. We've talked about this, and I think it's super valid because when you're looking at a defense, right, that is great between the 20s and not great, not their best, I should say in the red zone, you want to push that offense back as far as possible and give this defense as much time as they need to get them off the field. And that's exactly what happens when, when teams are, are 
back in their own end zone. Um, and yeah, Boho, what a great, I mean, we joke and we laugh about the change in long snapper and the punting and JK Scott and all this, but at the end of the day, when you get someone like Corey Borkas, who's doing what he's doing for this team, it's not really a joke anymore. Like he's contributing in a very meaningful way. Well, especially when you hear, you know, kind of post game, like I know the Bengals game was fluky and weird and we're hoping that never happens again, you know, for either kicker. And they talk about the process. You have to think that part of that process is the long snapping. You know, maybe there's something that Maury Strayton, some of the other coordinators saw and they were like, hey, we'll give this a couple more goes. I mean, I don't remember if they I think they asked him about it specifically in training camp, but one of the beat reporters had tweeted out that like three of Hunter Bradley's snaps just hit the turf. Like they didn't even make it to JK Scott, the holder at the time. And it's like, okay, well, you know, there's clearly something that needs to improve in the operation. So even to just know that, you know, every time he gets out onto the field, you're not worried about like a special teams blunder, I think is huge. And, you know, that was the difference in the game, right? I think that was the drive that the Packers ended with a field goal. So that, ended up winning them the game to have that muffed punt that the Packers were able to recover and get on top of. So you think about like game changing moments and key plays that kind of shift the momentum of a game, stealing a possession away from a team is a huge momentum swing. Yeah, always. And, and that's what it, there's, I feel like we talk about momentum a lot with the Packers and I guess it's the same with any team, but Oh my God, it's already, it's already at the 40 Maggie. We have so much more I want to talk about. Um, (laughs) two-hour show just kidding kidding. (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah I mean you you talk about momentum and the Packers play their best ball when they're ahead most teams do um but they also tend to come back from turnovers in a very like forceful way and when you see them make a turnover in every single game you have to think the momentum is always in the Packers favor and that's why they're winning. Not why they're winning, but it's part. I think it's a big part of why they're winning. And Matt Fleur always talks about the turnover battle as being like top three that that he looks for in a game for them to win. I'm yeah, trying to get the words out right now. <laughs> no, I mean I think that all those things are really significant. And I'm. It is interesting. I know we talked about this before we went to our. Uh, our ad read, or, well, I guess we didn't really read anything. We just kind of, you know, our ad, our, our friends. Our um, ad, ad lib. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't really talk about the offense. And I think that's yeah. really interesting because, you know, last season the Packers had the number one offense in football. And it's all we could talk about was like, oh, well, don't worry if the defense gives up 30 because the Packers offense will put up 35. And don't worry about it. This season it really is, you know, God, I've gotten on my soapbox about this so many times, but just wanting to see – Matt LaFleur respond to adversity. It's always like there's that one loss a season that they're not prepared for. And how do they respond when they're down? And we've seen so much of that from this third year of Matt LaFleur's coaching. Like it's been so great to see the way that this team responds. They don't panic week one, obviously a little bit of panic. I think that was an anomaly. I think we can call it a fluke at this point, but staying true to the run game. Like there's so many things we saw from him as a head coach, the first couple seasons where it's like, Hopefully that comes with maturity or that comes with time or that comes with just knowing the game as at the head coaching level, because you can be in the NFL for a number of years, but it's not the same as being a head coach. Mm-hmm. Well, now in his third season, we're just seeing such a good response on not only all three phases of the game, but like the way that he's sticking true to his scheme and his game plan. And I think that that can't go unnoticed either because 
you know, when you get guys back like Devontae and David Bakhtiari and MVS, like we've talked so much about what this offense is going to look like when they have MVS to stretch the field. And I think that that's just, that's huge moving forward. I can't wait. I cannot wait. I think there's a handful of pieces to this offense that are really key and MVS is one of them. And I know that fans have had so many ups and downs with him as a player and his inconsistencies, but I think what he brings to the table is nobody, like you said, stretches the field like he does and nobody puts defenses on notice, right? Like you have to always, always be on notice for the deep ball shot from Rogers. It doesn't matter if it doesn't hit. Okay. Wait, I had this theory the other day. Now it's coming back to me. I was thinking about this is what I think about in my head when I'm, I, I live alone for those of you who don't know, like in <laughs> one bedroom and I watch a lot of football and this sort of That's thing. That's not true. You have read. Thank you. Me and my cat, right. Let's make me sound <laughs> cooler than I already do. Um, and, and, I was thinking about the deep, the deep ball from Aaron Rodgers and how, unfortunately, it hasn't been working as well this season. And there's sometimes when fans are like, it's second and 10. Like, why is Rodgers taking a deep shot? And I think it's the same, it's the same, same thought process as when MVS is in the game because you always have to keep the defense on notice for it. It doesn't matter if it doesn't hit. I think it's part of the game plan to continue to take shots down the field no matter what because – more often than not, Aaron Rodgers is going to hit them. This season, he's not hitting them as often. But defenses don't – I don't think they care. I think they think Aaron Rodgers can do anything at any time because that is what he's proven in his career. And even if we take this deep shot right now and it doesn't hit, the defense is going to remember that Rodgers is going to go back to that again. And he's going to try it again. He's more than likely going to hit one. And I think with MVS back, it's even more so. So I've decided I'm not going to take offense – from Matt LaFleur on these like weird shot plays that Rogers does sometimes on second and 10, when you just want them to move the chains and the offense is moving. Well, I think it's actually part of the game plan. I think it's actually part of the game plan to remind defenses that Aaron Rodgers can still, will still go for that deep ball, no matter what. Uh, Breaking news. I'm getting a divorce. Thanks Mark um, for not having me be your favorite member of PAX, what she said, but (laughs) (laughs) no, but I mean, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And, you know, it's easy for us watching at home or even in the stands to to make judgments on maybe where the ball should have gone on third down or, you know, what we saw. But when everything's happening in real time, there's a lot of times where Aaron Rodgers is taking a shot because nobody's open. You right. know, we saw that in the first drive against the Cardinals where he took the shot to Aaron Jones and that was so close to connecting and would have moved the chains. And you can argue, like, just get the first down. But sometimes the first down isn't there. And you have to go to your second and third and fourth reads. And, you know, you're not going to connect on 100% of your plays. So the fact that they're, it's like you said, taking shots. You know, we talked about Devontae Adams dealing with cover two consistently and what that's going to mean when they have MVS back. Like, you're not going to be able to cover everybody at all times. So I think that's going to be a significant boost to the defense. Yeah. Or to the offense. Oh, Shawshank Joshi. Thank you. Agreed on MVS. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Cheese clap. Yeah, cheese clap. Cheese clap. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just reading what he said. He's got some emojis in there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think my theory was even, like, further than that. I actually think these shot plays are, like, game-planned. Because you look at the Cardinals game, right? They're running the ball really well. They're they're just, like, not – I don't call it dinking and dunking, but they're, they're taking what's in front of them and moving the ball slowly. Still Drew Brees special. 
Yeah, it will always be the group league special. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? They're, they're, the game plan was not yeah. deep shot. But they went for it, like you said, with Aaron Jones. They went back to it on that seam ball to Jay – I almost said Jay Sternberger – to Robert Tunyon, besides the fact that he hurt himself on that play. I think it worked because – as a defense, you're always going to have to remember that Aaron Rodgers can still throw that ball. They went for a Hail Mary just for, like, old time's sake, and Aaron Rodgers can throw the ball 70 yards still. Like, I think those plays are important for this offense. Because eventually, MBS is going to come back, and they are going to start hitting. And like Aaron Rodgers said, he owes him three touchdowns. Just the nostalgia of that. Like, I knew it was a close game, and I'm sitting there on my couch, and I'm like, holy shit, like, I'm not even mad. I'm not upset, like, that it didn't connect. I'm just watching this, like, you know, thinking about, obviously, Detroit and against the Giants and against the Cardinals and just how miraculous it is to, you know, not to get, like, too sentimental or cheesy, but I think we all are really kind of appreciating the season for what it is and how special it is because whether you call it the last dance or not, my thoughts have changed on it significantly since the season even started about where I think this team will be next season. But to have the adversity that they went through before, you know, they even played a snap of football to be a seven and one team talking about the close knit nature of the locker room and to have those things happen when Aaron Rodgers is playing his 17th season in green and gold unprecedented. Nobody's ever done it. Like it's just special. And I think, you know, this season has kind of put a lot of things in perspective where it's easy to enjoy football when your team is winning and, you know, you can come find me when they're three and 14 in 10 years. I, I don't know. I'm sure I'll still be enjoying it, but but you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it was just one of those moments from Aaron Rodgers where it just felt so vintage where it was like, wow, this guy could do this until he was 60. Yeah. Yeah. Like let's remember he's still Aaron freaking Rodgers. And I think yeah. it's, I don't know if the, what happened this off season, this was not how I was planning on wrapping up the show, but I like it. <laughs> um, I don't know if what happened this off season, like kind of reminded the whole league too, not just Packers fans, but like the league, like the, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers are synonymous and have been for almost two decades. And I think there's like a level of appreciation going on right now that Aaron Rodgers is 37 years old, still doing what he's doing, right? Still playing with the same team, still contending with the same team. So throwing Hail Marys with the same team, still throwing two touchdowns a game to Randall Cobb. Like there's a <laughs> level of appreciation and respect that I think that he's getting for the first time that I, um, haven't felt like he's had in the last couple of years, especially at least since Matt LaFleur took over, which is another thing. This is how I, I did want to wrap up the show. Okay. Is, Good segue. Good segue. Thank you. We are halfway through the season and it is still very early to be talking about any kind of season awards because there's like Aaron Nagler says, not a ball game left. But I think at this point, right. And someone asked Matt LaFleur this in a press conference and he gave a very Matt LaFleur response about it, but he's now, one of the most winningest coaches, the most winning coach in the first 40 games of a coach's career in history. He's gone 13 and three. His first two seasons is now seven and one in his third season. What Malifleur is doing is in wildly impressive. And I think wildly underrated. Mm -hmm. What does he have to do to win coach of the year? I hope you're not asking me because I it's think a rhetorical it's rhetorical <laughs> question. Like, yeah. what does the man need to do to even be considered? Because yes, he has Aaron Rodgers, but people would talk about Bruce Arians as head coach, uh, coach of the year last season, and he has Tom Brady. Like, what's the difference here in my mind? I think what Matt Lafleur is doing 
is wildly underrated. I think one of my thoughts about it is that he's just not a rah-rah guy. He's a very demure, very reserved, very team-oriented, it's about the guys in the building, it's not about me kind of guy. He does not garner a lot of hoopla around him. I'm aging myself with all these weird terms. (laughs) But my point stands is that he's just, he's not... I mean, even that interview that he did with Aaron Andrews before the Cardinals game, like he's in his little suit. He still looks so nervous. <laughs> um, so I think that plays into it as a personality thing is my point. Hey, D Waxen, thanks from Minnesota. We're going to keep carrying the G and carrying the G for our coach who deserves coach of the year. You're killing it with these segues. I'm going to lose my job hosting the show. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, I agree with you. And I think, You know, it's easy to say, like, yes, the team had Aaron Rodgers, but they were bad in 2018. 2018 was a hard year for the Packers. You know, Brian Gutekunst brings in four huge free agents who are all still with the team. Aaron Rodgers was not playing his best ball in 2018 and part of 2019. And the Packers were still finding ways to win. And then you look at the 2020 roster and they have an all pro at just about every like important position on the roster, whether it's quarterback, wide receiver, left tackle, edge rusher, cornerback, like, no, I mean, and yes, those things can happen because you have talented players, but a huge part of that is the buy-in of the locker room. And I put on Twitter that I really miss kind of the post-game locker room huddles that we would see where Matt LaFleur and then like a player representative would break down the huddle each each week and I understand that you know due to COVID protocols that's not the case anymore but yeah I do feel like he's come in and just the culture shift and you know Aaron Rodgers obviously said this offseason that players come to Green Bay to play with him but I think there's going to be something to be said that players come to Green Bay because of the environment that's created there whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Matt LaFleur or guys like Big Dog you know okay people that were hating on me for my 10 years from now thing five years from now whoever's a quarterback whatever the players are like in the locker room Matt LaFleur is still the head coach I'm I feel very confident with the way that the locker room is going to be coached up and the kind of the camaraderie the camaraderie that they're going to have and I think that that's that's when you're deserving of coach of the year bingo Ben yes it's because everyone knows Aaron is better than Tom true I mean (laughs) you agree that um yeah I I I agree with that I think that's perfectly said because at the end of the day, Maddie's going to be there longer than Rogers is. And I still feel very confident that that man can go out and win football games, even with whoever's under center, whether it's Jordan love or whether it's somebody else. I think the scheme that he is running is replicable. And obviously you are given so much more when you have Aaron Rodgers, Right. But I think even in like a microcosm way, they've played without Devonte Adams and they're seven and zero. Because Matt LaFleur takes players in and says, what are you best at? This is how I'm going to play you. It's like, it's the perfect way to coach. It's not, here's my scheme, you fit into it. It's, who do I have? How do I fit what I want to do to what the players that I have? And he does that so well. I mean, look at Big Dog. Mike McCarthy had no idea what to do with Mercedes Lewis. And now he is incredibly important to this offense. LaFleurishing. Okay, that was great. <laughs> yes, he's flourishing. Well, we're going to have to do something with that. Um, but I think the point is still there, right? Is that that's, that is a direct indictment on, on Matt LaFleur and the way that he coaches. Okay, this was 
so fun. I feel like I could still, I could keep going. I mean, we didn't even get to like so much of the offense and AJ Dillon, whom we, friend of Cheesehead TV, whom we love. So I guess y'all are going to just have to tune in to our episode this week and our recap show after the Packers hopefully beat the, beat the Chiefs and next month when we do this again, because there's so much football left and we're obviously very excited about the way the Packers are trending this season. Full steam ahead. Yeah. I mean, I think if you would have asked either of us to give like an early season prediction, I'm not sure either of us would, would have come up with seven and one and just the way the entire NFC is shaking out. Like this is a miraculous season for what it is as far as like the contention between all of the big teams and, I don't know. It's just a lot of fun. I'm I'm trying to put things in perspective more in my own life and yeah. football has helped to do that to an extent, but yeah, this is a this is a really fun season and I hope everybody's enjoying it for the ride that it is because most of the time when adversity hits a team like this, it's not this enjoyable. We're not talking about a 7 and 1 team. We're talking yeah. about a team that had their season derailed because they lost some key players and for whatever reason, knock on all the wood that you have in your house this is not happening to this Packers team. And I think that's what makes it a special run. It is. It is. It's another contention year. It's another year of Super Bowl expectations. And I guess that's what the, that's what every year is at 1265 Lombardi. I think as a fan, you have to be very grateful that we don't hang banners for uh, division wins, division championships. You can't relate Viking. Sorry. Sorry. Um, <laughs> we didn't even throw any shade at the NFC North this episode because the record speaks for itself. Okay. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for your comments. We read them all. I'm sorry we don't get to everything. We love having you here. We appreciate you. Please tune in to Pax, what she said this week. We're going to preview the Chiefs, like really, really dive into this matchup. I think we're both very excited about it. Um, I'm ready for some Packers football, even though it's three days difference. I'm like, oh, I haven't watched the Packers play in so long. <laughs> um, we will come back with our recap show next week. Uh, as per usual, it'll be on Monday. Um, don't forget, the show is sponsored by Manscaped. And as always, and forever, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. <laughs>